We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw, we go tit for tat, we have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. Hello and welcome to the Moose and Roots Podcast. This episode 35, a special holiday edition podcast, Matt. Before we celebrate celebrate Christmas, we have uh, we have a little gift for our listeners, our loyal listeners who have given us a ton, and we want to give something back. A really good one on tap today. But uh, how you doing? First things first, buddy. Well, uh, I'm I'm doing great. Uh, it's it's Saturday morning here, about you know, ten o'clock. Uh, got in relatively early last night. Got some good sleep and got up here to talk to you. Now, uh, have you? What, what's on the list? What did you? I know you still go see Santa, take the pictures. Oh yeah. Um, what uh, What did you ask while while sitting on Santa's lap? Oh, you know, I asked for uh, for about thirty five more of these podcasts, showing maybe uh, uh, maybe maybe double our listenership. That's what I was asking Santa for. Maybe maybe even a nice well, little sponsor. Well, he has that'd be nice, but he he hasn't contacted me, so I don't know if I can guarantee you those. I, I told so. him uh, I told him that those were for both of us. So All right, well, he's not my, going my, to contact you. Uh, well, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> um, it uh, it is a wonderful time of year for for everybody. Um, and hopefully you get some time to go be with your loved ones and spend time with family because it's a special time of year and, uh, should not be taken for granted. Matt, before we jump into this, uh, this special interview that you, that you kind of locked up for us here, I want to hit you with not a buy or sell, but but a little bit of a a themed question and I'm coming at you off the top. You have no idea here. What is your favorite Christmas movie? I think this is an important thing to know about. Favorite Christmas movie. It says a lot about someone because I never really thought about it. And then I flipped on the TV yesterday and Home Alone was on. And I consider that a Christmas movie just because of the theme of the yeah, movie. That's a Christmas around movie. Christmas. And it's my, it, that's my personal favorite. I got – it's 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 kind of one and one A for me. Uh, mm-hmm. Christmas Vacation is an absolute classic. Always a great. Absolutely love that. And uh, one a newer one, uh, not, not that new, but Elf. I, uh, Will, Will Ferrell and Elf gets me every time, man. So See, those are those are. I would say Christmas Vacation has the slight edge, but those are uh, those, those are those are my two top ones right there. I've been stumping against Elf for some time now, and it just is not received with good nature. People seem to love Elf, and I think it's the most overrated Christmas movie out there. Will Ferrell makes me uncomfortable throughout the movie, and I'll just leave it at that. We don't. I can, to, you know, I can, I can see that it wouldn't be for. I, I'm, I'm not going to rip you for that. I can see how maybe it wouldn't be <laughs> at the top of everybody's list, but I, I, I Will Ferrell makes me laugh. I mean, it's that well, simple. You, you can't miss with them. And uh, it, well, Matt, let, let's give the people a little background here before we jump into this interview. Um, you know, we we like to talk about sports, Chicago sports, national sports, and some things we obviously know more about than other things. And I think uh, a place where we lack and we can go get some really top-notch knowledge is Chicago Bulls basketball. And we obviously... Uh, went to the source here. Uh, few people know more about the Bulls than this guy we're about to talk to. Yeah, Joe, we got, I, I think, probably the most knowledgeable basketball mind in the, in the city. Um, you know, I, he works with me at NBC Sports Chicago. It's the Bulls pre- and post-game host, uh, Mark Shanowski. Uh, usually when I'm sitting in there, you know, if I'm working on his show or if I'm just in the station when it's on, you know, he's he's the host, so he defers to guys like, you know, Kendall Gill, Will Purdue, whichever, uh, whichever analysts are in studio with him. You don't really get to hear him elaborate too much, but he goes, I asked him if, you know, before the call of 20 minutes was cool. And, uh, he, he nearly doubled that. So he, uh, he knows as much basketball as anybody has ever talked to. He can talk, he could have probably talked for another hour if he wanted to. And 
the amount of things that I learned just from kind of asking questions and shutting up here uh, was pretty, pretty astounding <laughs> to me. Well, good on you, Matt, and thank you for locking this one up for us. And uh, that's one thing we want to bring to you guys, the listeners, in the new year is some more interviews, get some more personalities on here who can really expound upon our uh, very basic thoughts. And it's our New I Year's resolution. It's our New Year's resolution here on the Moose and Moose podcast. And I think uh, Mark Chanowski is going to be a great addition to the podcast, and he's going to bring some knowledge to you guys that I don't think many people could. So without further ado, Merry Christmas to you and yours, Moose and Moose listeners. Here is episode 35 of the Mark Chanowski interview. Who can set the court on fire? Only the bulls keep us burning with desire. All right, and now we'd like to welcome onto the Moose and Runes podcast Mark Shanowski from NBC Sports Chicago. He has one of the more difficult jobs in the city. He covers the 10 win Bears and the four, or 10 win Bulls and the four win Bears. So it's been a little bit of a uh, depressing sports season for him. But Mark, how are you doing this morning? Thanks for joining us. I'm doing great. Yeah, I've had to be creative at times coming up with different ways to tell the same story. That's why it's been so much fun to see the Bulls uh, reel off a hot streak like this. Yeah, I mean those those whatever three and twenty start. I think it was must have been tough, but at least with these uh the six uh, six out of seven here with that loss to the Cavs last night must be a little bit easier. But Mark, what went into that win streak? Because we've been told how really how bad this team is and kind of saw it in that three and twenty stretch. What kind of got into them and sparked them to that six game win streak? Other than Nico Miritich, or was it? Yeah, I think you have to give Nico a ton of credit because he's playing at an incredibly high level, maybe at a level that none of us uh, expected he could reach. His first three years in the league were marked by, you know, flashes of really great play and and then stretches where it seemed like he was overmatched. And uh, he talked about putting in a lot of work in the weight room this past summer to try to get stronger. And I think that the biggest change in him really, though, is his mental approach. In the past, Nico, I think, would kind of crumble when things were going against him. And now he's got this inner strength that when he makes a mistake, he's just going to come back stronger on the next possession. Um, he's, he doesn't just settle for long three-point shots. He's varied his offensive game. And he has a sense of determination that we really hadn't seen before. This is a really pivotal year for him because the second year of the contract he signed with the Bulls is a team option. And if he doesn't play well, because of the fact he didn't have a lot of bidders last year when he was a restricted free agent, I think he understands that his NBA career was kind of hanging in the balance. And for whatever reason, he's coming back so much mentally stronger, and he's almost a, kind of a different person. Even in doing interviews with him now, he just has a confidence, almost a cockiness about him that I think has really served him well. And his return to the Bulls was kind of give, given a shot in the arm that the young guys who were struggling during that 10-game losing streak and you see more guys playing with a sense of confidence that we didn't see earlier. Chris Dunn has been uh, really a, a, a consistent force at the point guard position. David Nwaba has been a factor off the bench. And really, I think there's the unselfishness on offense has been something to see. So, you know, Nico is the guy that really sparked it all, but I think the other guys have picked up their level of play as well. I'm, I'm glad you touched on Chris Dunn because I, we're going to get to him in a minute. But just one more quick thing on Nico now is, in the years past, we've kind of seen these spurts from him, like when the, I think it was always seemed to happen in March where he'd kind of go on that three or four game stretch. But I know he's been coming off the bench here these, these last six games, but it's something about him kind of being the go-to guy. Do you think that helps him and is, you know, it gives him a confidence boost that helps his game a little bit mentally, whatever? Is that something that he thrives on being the guy where there, as in the past, he's kind of had to defer to Jimmy or, or Wade or guys like that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a big factor because 
when he first came over here, he came to an established team that was hoping to contend for a championship, and he was just going to be a support player off the bench. I mean, Tom Thibodeau was his coach during his rookie season, and, and Tibbs is always a demanding guy who's tough on rookies. And then he had an established pecking order of players with uh, Joakim Noah and Derek Rose and Jimmy Butler. And then his second year, Pau Gasol came over from Spain. Actually, Pau was there his rookie year. And, you know, he had to deal with, with Pau as well. And then after uh, that team got broken up, he had a new coach, a new system coming in with Fred Hoiberg. And then last season it was Dwayne Wade and, and uh, Rajon Rondo with the whole three alphas thing. And I think Nico was always trying to figure out where he fit and, you know, how aggressive he should be on the offensive end. Now he's a veteran on a rebuilding team that didn't have a, a whole bunch of scoring options. And I feel like he's got that freedom of mind to, to say that I'm as good as anybody on this team. I've already been in the league for three years, and, and they should look to me as one of the guys who can really provide a lot of offense. So I think that contributes into that mindset that I talked about earlier, that he realizes that he's as good as anybody on this team, and, and, and why shouldn't he be the guy that's taking 12 to 15 shots and, and trying to score 20 points a game? Uh, you also brought up their Tibbs and, and being tough on rookies, and one of the rookies he was tough on uh, pretty much all year last year was Chris Dunn. And uh kind of seemed like a little bit of an afterthought or kind of a throw-in chip lottery ticket, whatever you want to call in the Jimmy Butler trade. But he seems to be kind of taking that next step and showing why the Bulls were so high on him you know, last year's draft when uh, when Minnesota actually grabbed him. Now, is, this, is he playing himself kind of into that point guard of the future role? Is this just a little bit of uh, a confidence booster? Kind of what, what should we expect from Chris Dunn, I guess, in years forward here? Well, I think that's part of the problem of, uh, you know, today's social media age that we're always ready to make quick evaluations on guys. And I think that Chris Dunn got kind of a, kind of a bad rap, uh, in this one season playing for Tom Thibodeau with the Timberwolves. You know, as I mentioned earlier in regards to Nico, that Tips is brutally tough on rookies. I mean, even Jimmy Butler, mm-hmm. who's now a top 20 player in the league, he didn't even get off the bench his first year with the Bulls. Um, Tips doesn't trust rookies, doesn't want to play him, and he'll avoid them at all costs. And, Chris Dunn's playing time last season was so erratic that, you know, it's really hard to make a determination on what kind of NBA potential he had. You know, people forget he was, uh, you know, at Providence, he was one of the best players in his conference. He was the fifth overall pick in the draft, considered, you know, the top point guard prospect. And that doesn't just go away. You know, the guy is a defensive force, uh, 6'4", really good athlete, long arms. You know, he can really disrupt the opposing point guards. And people knew he was NBA ready in terms of his defensive play from day one. So the Bulls, you know, tried to trade for him coming into that first draft, and they couldn't work things out with the Boston Celtics. So then when he became available from the Timberwolves after his rookie season, you know, they jumped at it. And he got off to a bit of a slow start this year only because he hurt his finger in the preseason, and that sent him back a little bit. But, you know, I like Chris Dunn at Providence, and, you know, the only question about him is can he be a consistent shooter at the NBA level, and that's maybe still to be determined, but he's been better than expected to this point, and, and I think even though it's a, a relatively small sample size, I think the Bulls feel really good about where he's at and feel like he's their point guard going forward. Yeah, and another thing I think I've kind of noticed about him, too, is late in these games, he doesn't seem like a guy who's wanting to get rid of the ball right away. He seems like a guy who feels comfortable with the ball in his hands, you know, down the stretch in, in tight games, which is always nice to see out of your point guard. Yeah, he actually seeks out those big shots. You know, again, that goes back to his college background where he was the man at Providence and he was the guy that was responsible for trying to get victories late and get them to the NCAA tournament. 
And I, and I think, you know, he's really comfortable. He's got a, a nice change of pace dribble to him. He, he's, he's also quick with his first step. He can do a lot of different things. You know, he's pretty solid with his mid-range jumper. He's strong enough to finish at the basket. And, and I think uh, Bulls fans are just going to get more more excited about this kid because he has everything you want from the point guard position with the exception of, you know, consistent three-point range. But he's got everything else that you'd want in that position. And when you really look at the trade they made for Jimmy Butler, which was almost universally panned, you know, they've got three starters 23 years or, or younger who are probably going to be fixtures on this team, you know, for years to come. And and even though they gave up a, a really great player in Jimmy Butler, I think they got an uh, incredible return. Yeah, well, moving on, I guess, to the next part of that trade. Now, Lowry Markkinen, uh, he had a really nice start to the year, and I think he started showing flashes of why the Bulls are so high on him there at number seven. But I know he's had those back spasms. I think I, uh, it's only he's come back now two games, I think, from those back spasms. But even before that, he started to seem like he was hitting that rookie wall a little bit earlier. Is that what this slump has been with him, or is there something a little bit more that, that we're not seeing this change of teams adjusted to him a little bit more, or what's going on with him? Well, I think it's a combination of factors. I think there was some fatigue. You know, he played for his native country, Finland, in uh, Eurobasket this summer, which, you know, for people who don't know a lot about it, it's a very prestigious tournament, and, uh, you know, the European nations really take a lot of pride in doing as well as they can, and he was one of their go-to guys at the age of 20, you know, playing against professionals from all around the world. Uh, so I think that took something out of him. He played, of course, summer league for the Bulls, and then he, then he came to training camp, and, and he was a bit fatigued. He got off to a quick start, and then I think he kind of slammed into a wall a little bit because it was a busy summer schedule. He's also had a couple of different uh, bouts with back spasms, which is the one thing I think that, you know, the Bulls are a little bit concerned about, a 20-year-old seven-footer with, uh, you know, maybe having a little bit of a back issue. That's something they're going to have to keep an eye on in terms of uh, how they play him during his rookie season. But the game against Cleveland was really special because he didn't just settle for three-pointers. He was attacking the basket. He had the one dunk where, where he drove to the basket and dunked it over Jay Crowder, and then he got a steal and went down and threw down a, a one-handed slam. It's nice to see that, you know, maybe he's getting his second win here as we, you know, pass the 30-game mark in the NBA schedule. Um, I like his potential. You know, a seven-footer who can shoot threes is, is always going to have value, but he's more than just a spot-up shooter. You know, as we saw against the Cavaliers, he can take it to the basket, he can finish, and he moves his feet better than a lot of seven-footers do. So, you know, I really, I really feel like they, they hit a good one at number seven, and that's really the key to any kind of rebuild. You have to, you have to hit on your draft picks, you have to hit on trades, and you know, get a little bit of luck along the way. And, and you know, considering this is just the start of what could be, you know, a multi-year rebuild, I think they're in a pretty good position. Yeah, you know, that's something you and uh, and Kendall Gill, it seems like, touch on just about every Bulls pre and post with with Mark and it's it. When he's not shooting well from the outside or he's going a little bit cold, you, you like to see him get down low and, and get in the post and try and score some buckets from uh, from near the basket to maybe gain a little bit of confidence there. Yeah, I think that's something that he can do because what teams were trying to do was they would run pick and roll and they would switch the point guard onto Markinen and too often he would just stay outside and either take a contested jump shot or just move the ball along to the next guy. He needs to take advantage of the fact that he's seven feet tall, and, and when, when they try to switch smaller players on him, just get him in the post and punish him. And and I think that you know we know that his work ethic is good, and, and I think as as he continues to progress in his NBA career, he's going to recognize those mismatches sooner, and I think he's going to get some easy baskets that way. 
uh, I think those fans should be pretty excited about this kid's potential. Now, now moving on to the uh, the last and probably the biggest chip from the uh, the Jimmy Butler trade, Zach Levine, I think, is a guy who you know maybe a lot of the diehard NBA fans have seen quite a bit of, might know a little bit more about his days from Minnesota, but. I would guess a lot of Bulls fans just kind of know him from the dunk contest and haven't really seen him play a lot of basketball. So what's what's a guy like this, uh, what, what are we supposed to expect out of him when he gets back, hopefully uh, this, this next month here? And should we be at all worried that this explosive, you know, dunk contest champion might be a little bit hampered with uh, coming off a torn ACL? Well, it's interesting. Zach Levine, when he first got to UCLA, I heard so much about him coming out of high school. He was a really high prospect. And the one year at UCLA... He didn't even start a lot of the games because, you know, his game was so raw and, and unrefined. And, and I think the coaching staff there was, was kind of wondering what he was all about. When he declared for the draft, I was kind of surprised in that, you know, he didn't really have a great resume at UCLA, but because his physical tools were so great, uh, you know, team was willing to take him up uh, in the lottery. I know the Bulls had scouted him that year. That was the year they had the, uh, the two picks at 16 and 19 in 2014, and they wound up trading both of them to move up and take Doug McDermott, which, of course, didn't turn out to be be the trade everybody expected. It made sense at the time. They had a veteran team, and they needed a shooter. But, you know, you think about um, some of the guys that they passed up in that, you know, the the guys they ended up trading, Gary Harris and Yusuf Nurkic, are both very good pros. Uh, They they were interested in Rodney Hood of the Jazz, and, and, you know, he's turned out to be a fine pro. And then, of course, Levine was taken 13th in that draft. But, you know, when he first got to the Timberwolves, he was an athlete. He was a dunker. You mentioned two-time slam dunk champion. But his, in his, his final year at Minnesota, before he got hurt, he was averaging almost 19 points a game, shooting nearly 40% from the three-point line. So to his credit, he worked on his game. He became more than just a dunker. And, you know, he, he was able to use his incredible speed and athleticism to blow by defenders and finish at the rim. But he's also developed a pretty consistent three-point shot. The hope, of course, for the Bulls is that when he returns in a couple of weeks, he'll be able to pick up right where he left off, hit that three-point shot with consistency, and still have that explosiveness, which uh, got people so excited when he first came into the league. I know Bulls fans are so worried about the whole Derrick Rose story. Is it going to be the same thing? Is he he never going to be the same athlete? And only time will tell on that one. But if he can come back uh, as to what he was in year three with the Timberwolves, the Bulls have themselves a special player, and this guy in the Eastern Conference could be an, an all-star in years to come because he has a complete skill set. He needs to become a more consistent defender, but hopefully that's something that will come with more experience. But, you know, he's the one that, that I was excited about in the trade initially, and, you know, I, I can't wait to see him take the floor in January. Um, you know, there'll be some growing pains when he first comes back. It's, he has to adjust to the team, and the team has to adjust to him, but... I think by the time we get to uh, March and April, you're going to see some pretty special stuff out of Zach Levine. Now, I I know this this rebuild is this he's the biggest you know Levine is a very big part of it, but the big I guess piece chip that they wanted out of this rebuild after that Butler trade was banking on getting you know really into the top two three picks in this draft. Now, do you think that with this winning streak, it, it, is there a chance that they're going to end up being good enough to kind of play themselves out of that top three or four? Or do you think they still ultimately? Move up, move enough pieces out, get some return back, and then be bad enough to find themselves into the top three in that lottery. Well, it's funny. I was looking at the standings, and there's a number of teams that they could pick off that are, you know, really, in, you know, having some issues. You look at veteran teams that have been to the playoffs for the last, 
you know, eight to ten years by the Memphis Grizzlies and the Clippers. Those two teams are struggling. They're taking on water, and they they could go into free fall mode. Um, I think they're clearly already better than than the Atlanta Hawks and the Dallas Mavericks. Probably better than the Sacramento Kings and the Phoenix Suns. Yeah, I think there's a, a serious danger that they could win 25 to 28 games and drop all the way to the eight to 10 range. And the the problem with that is, you know, as as someone who follows the team and, and does pre and post game shows for every game. You don't want to be in a position where you're saying that it's not to their uh, benefit to win games. You know, the, the the coaching staff and the players are judged by what they do on the court, and there is no way that they're going to go into any game with the with the approach that you know it's okay that we lose, we'll get a better draft pick that way. The front office has the plan for for hoping to get the highest pick that they can, but the players and coaches are only trying to win the game that's right in front of them. As everybody knows, what the the NBA draft is based on a lottery system. So even if you finish fifth, sixth, seventh, you still could jump up into the top three. And if you fit, you know, if you are one of the teams with the three worst records, you could drop as many as three slots too, based on the lottery. So um, you know, it's not it's not a perfect system, and you know, tanking isn't always rewarded. So I, I think the Bulls will play this out. You know, they, there may be some trades that come at midseason that might. Uh, you know, weaken them in that fashion, but they're going to get Levine back. Um, you know, Nico's going to be here for the rest of the season unless he gets traded. And I, I think with this young team gaining confidence, um, I, I would think they're going to play at a more consistent level. I, I think they'll certainly surpass the 20 win total. Uh, just a question of, of how high they eventually get because as, as you get to the later stages of the NBA season, a lot of teams start packing it in, and because this Bulls team is young and a lot of guys are trying to establish who they are as NBA players, I think that they're going to play hard to the finish. And I just don't see the Bulls going into a, a mode like Phoenix did last year where they started holding out players the last month of the season just to get finished with the worst record as possible. I just don't see the Bulls doing that uh, as they get to the latter stages of the season. Now, you, you touched on it a little bit in that answer, too, but you, you said the players and coaches are always going to be coaching and playing to win, but the, the front office, well, I, I'm sure Gar and Pax like seeing that these, you know, these trade chips, you know, the trade chips they brought in from Jimmy, you know, working out there, young guys playing well. They've got to be a little bit, not panicked, but a little bit concerned that this is messing up kind of their grand scheme of things. So how do they kind of react to this? Does this, does this maybe inspire them to try and move out? A Robin Lopez or a Nico Miritich a little bit earlier when, than they thought. You know, when Nico's available to be traded, I think it's in January. Do, do they try and make moves a little bit earlier now to sell high on some of these pieces, or where do they go from here, or what can they do? Well, when Nico signed that free agent contract, there's a provision in it that uh, he has a no trade clause, and that's something that that they thought was could be an issue if they wanted to move Nico. But then, of course. The whole Bobby uh, Nico fight happened in training camp, and um, you know there was an indication that Nico's representation had gone to the front office and said, you know, you should trade one of the two because they won't be able to coexist on the court. Obviously, they've gotten past that; they've, they've played really well together. Seem to be doing just fine game. together. Yeah, and, I, and obviously, I don't think that they're the best of friends. I don't think they have much interaction in terms of talking off the court, but. You know, we've we've seen them play together. You know, they're they're exchanging high fives, they're passing to each other, they're setting screens for each other. You know, it's it's working just fine on the basketball court. But you know, I, I just don't. The Bulls are really kind of in a in a quandary right now. If Nico keeps playing at this level, do they decide now that 
he's part of the core going forward. They have an option on his services for next year at about $13 million, which is, you know, a pretty high salary for a guy coming off the bench. But if, if he's playing at this kind of efficient rate, they may just decide to keep him and, and figure it out going forward. You know, they have, but they've really basically moved Bobby Portis to the backup center position so that he's not really taking minutes away from either Lowry Markinen or Nico. Um, but back to your original question about, about trades, Nico now could probably bring a first-round pick from a contending team. Uh, I think a team like Houston, which has just a so-so bench and really has grand designs on making a run at Golden State in the playoffs this year, I think they would be incredibly interested in adding a guy like Meritich to play with their second unit and give them more firepower in a best-of-seven series against the Warriors. Their first-round pick, of course, would be very late. It would be in the 27 to 30 range. Is that enough return if Nico keeps playing at that, at this rate? I don't know. Um, Robin Lopez has, has been incredibly valuable to this team. He's still relatively young at 28 or 29 years old, and he does a lot of things off the court that are you know intangibles that help keep this young group together. He's a bit of a dinosaur in terms of the way the NBA game has gone. In terms that you know, teams now want big men who can shoot the three or more mobile who can run the floor, who can switch on screen and roll. And, and Robin's not exactly that guy, but I think that you know there still could be a possibility they could move him to a contending team that might want another big man for the stretch run in the playoffs. I think we'll see some trades. There's also the possibility they could they could move Justin Holiday, who's on a very team friendly contract and would provide a shooter for a team, uh, you know, down the stretch. So there are three or four guys that might be attractive to other squads, and if the front office decides that, you know, they really would like to improve their draft position, one way to do it is to is to trade some of your veteran players. So the, the deadline's a little bit earlier this year; it's in early February, so it's really not that far away. They're going to have to make some evaluations over the next two or three weeks as to which direction they want to go and if they want to be aggressive in trying to move one of their veterans to uh, maybe help improve their draft position. Now, now moving on to the draft here, give me a couple names that obviously I think the top you know two names you keep hearing at, at you know for one and two are you know Marvin Bagley, you hear DeAndre Ayton, you hear uh, Luka Doncic out of out of Spain. Um, who of those kind of top three are, are the ones that you? You think's going to go one? Who do you think is should be the main target for the Bulls if they get up there, and if they do fall back into that, you know, five, six, you know, eight, nine, ten, whatever range? Who, who's the guy that you might think they might be able to get back there that could end up being a core piece? Well, the three guys you mentioned are, are all fantastic prospects. I think the Bulls would be happy to get any of the three. Aiden is a seven-one center, two hundred fifty pounds. He's a sculpted. NBA strong center ready to play is a nice shooting touch out to 18 feet. I think he'd be a wonderful player to fit with this rebuild because you know they already have Lowry Markinen, Bobby Portis, and potentially they could hang on to Nico. So the the power forward position is really stacked, and I and I think if they decide to move Robin Lopez along in a trade, Aiton could step right in and and really solidify that center position. Everyone's seen Marvin Bagley. Of course, he plays on Duke, uh, and Duke's on national TV just about every game. He's a really good prospect, very reminiscent of Chris Bosh with a, a smooth lefty stroke, a really good athlete who can finish at the rim. And, and people, I'm sure, have seen highlight clips of uh, Luka Doncic, who's a, a 18-year-old, still-growing guard at about 6'7", who can play either guard position. He'd be a, a nice wing player that they could add, who's an incredible shooter and passer, and I think would fit into their their nice mix that they have going forward. 
if they continue to win and they drop into that 5 to 10 range, I've been watching a couple of young guards who've really caught my eye. Colin Sexton, who's a 6'3 point guard from Alabama. Kind of reminds me of uh, DeAndre Fox last year who played at Kentucky. Lightning fast, change of direction, can finish at the rim. Needs to maybe um, be a little more consistent with his outside shot, but he's an explosive player who could really be a, an incredible guard to bring off the bench. And the other guy who's like rocketing up draft boards is Trey Young from Oklahoma. If uh, the fans get a chance to watch uh, the Friday night game, Northwestern is playing at Oklahoma. It's a six o'clock game on ESPN two. If you don't have any plans and you know you hear a television set, take a look at this kid because he's a, almost a Steph Curry clone. He's a little undersized, like Steph was at Davidson, but he's got all the ball handling skills. He's got the the step back three range. He's an incredible passer. He had 22 assists, which tied the uh, NCAA Division One record the other night. Uh, he he would be a guy that that would be an interesting player to fit into the Bulls mix. Obviously, they're hoping Chris Dunn is going to run with that point guard spot, but the way the NBA has gone today, with teams so often using three guard lineups, I could see them running out uh, lineups with uh, using Trey Young and Chris Dunn and Zach Levine and force teams to match up with them. Um, you know, there's there's the two kids from Michigan State, Jaron Jackson Jr., who's an athletic 6'11 forward, who I think is a nice prospect, as well as Miles Bridges, who's an explosive leaper, who is a, a, a small forward prospect who's working on his shooting range. And one more guy I like is another guy named Bridges, Mikael Bridges from Villanova. He's a 6'7 wing can really shoot it from deep and also is uh, good at attacking the basket. There's there's a number of prospects that are going to be available in that uh, 5-10 to range. And we haven't even mentioned Michael Porter Jr., who could fall because of his back situation, and he was projected to be the, the number one pick. So, you know, I know I've kind of rambled on here, but I've been doing a lot of work uh, preparing for the draft. And if they don't get one of the top three picks, it's not like, you know, the – there, there aren't any. There aren't any top-level players there from four to ten. There's going to be guys there, and I don't see the Bulls obviously falling beyond the top ten. So, you know, there, there are players that are going to be available. And as we mentioned earlier, you also, even if your record puts you in the seven or eight slot, you could get lucky and jump in the top three as well. Well, that is refreshing to hear because it seems like even if the Bulls do screw up this, you know, tank, it seems like they might not be penalized too bad with how deep the, uh, you know, top ten, fifteen players in this draft might be. Yeah, there's a lot of lot of talented guys out there, and and I think that, you know, what happens is sometimes we have a tendency to fixate on the guys at the top, and you look at this past draft, Donovan Mitchell went 13, and he's just been spectacular. So there are guys that that have, you know, maybe minor flaws in the resume, like with Mitchell, he was considered too short to be a shooting guard, but like I said, the the old, you know, five different positions, and you have to fit a certain profile of play him, has kind of gone out the window. Now, just a couple quick questions here, league-wide, I guess, before we wrap things up. Are we set for, you know, Cavs-Warriors again, or do, do you know, the Rockets have a chance here out in out in the West upset Golden State? I know Daryl Morey was saying, I think it was yesterday or this morning, something along the lines of all we think about is beating the Warriors. You know, saw the Celtics have had a great start to the year, and if there's that off chance, Gordon Hayward might be able to come back. I know he's, he's out of the walking boot, I think they said. So are either of those teams have a chance to get knocked off, or... A reset for you know Warriors Cavs round three or four whatever the heck it is at this point. Yeah, I think it's going to be Cavs Warriors round four. Um, I just don't see any team having the firepower to knock off either one of those. If Boston were 100 percent healthy, you know Gordon Hayward may try to make a miraculous end of the year comeback, but 
you know, I just don't know exactly if that if he's going to be physically ready to play, and if he is, if he's going to be able to contribute what they might have expected. Um, you know, Cleveland is still waiting for Isaiah Thomas to return in, in a week or so, and you know, Isaiah Thomas was the third leading scorer in the NBA last year. You know, you add him to what they already have on that on that team, and I think they're just going to be too tough to knock off. In the West, I, Golden State is just too strong. Uh, you know, Houston may seek out to make a move, as we talked about. Maybe you know, they could make a, a bid for Meritich. They could try to find another scorer off the bench. Daryl Morey is an incredibly aggressive general manager, and I wouldn't be surprised if he tries to make a move to, to add another scorer. I think it would be an incredibly talent, uh, uh, exciting series to watch. Golden State and Houston exchange threes, but I, I think ultimately Golden State will win that series, and it'll be Warriors, Cavs round four, and I think that's going to be a, a, really a lot of fun to watch. Now, if if and when we do get to that, it does seem this year like the Cavs might have. I know they lost Kyrie, but it seems like they might be a little bit deeper and might even have a better chance this year to knock off the Warriors than they did last year. Yeah, I think they do. I think LeBron is playing at, at a. It, it seems kind of crazy to say, but I think he's playing he's better, better than ever. I mean, he's he's not the same, quite the same athlete that he was when he was, you know, in his mid twenties. But he still has the incredible athletic ability to uh, jump over defenders and 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 throw down incredible slam dunks. But his he's so knowledgeable, and he, he there's nothing you can throw at him that's going to confuse him anymore. That whatever warts he had in his game before, in terms of his outside shot, have been totally disappeared. You can't go under the screen on him because he'll punish you from the outside. He can overpower single defenders or even go through double teams. He has such a good sense of where his teammates are on the court. He's unselfish. He's a great passer. You know, he's a, people talked about Russell Westbrook last year averaging a triple-double. LeBron is flirting with it this year. He's averaging around nine assists and eight rebounds a game. He's so efficient. Uh, nothing surprises him. And, and after playing against the Warriors three straight years, I'm sure he's going to come at them with uh, – with every bit of knowledge and, and and skill that he has in a playoff series, I think Isaiah Thomas. There's some questions about whether or not he's the right guy to play off the ball because he's a guy that, as a point guard, likes to create off the dribble. But I think because of the fact that he is a good three-point shooter, I think he's going to find his comfort zone with LeBron after a couple of weeks. And I think those two are going to be just fine. They still have Kevin Love. Jeff Green has been fantastic for them coming off the bench. They have Dwayne Wade coming off the bench now. I mean, that that series, I think, has the potential to be uh, an epic seven-game slugfest. Yeah, you know, when they traded Kyrie, people kept wanting to say, like, it seems like, you know, it's even more just LeBron there now with the Cavs, but it seems like that team is now almost as deep as ever, even, even you know, more so than the year they won the title and beat Golden State. Yeah, I think that this this could be the, the best Cavs team that that they've had since LeBron returned. I, I think that they're they're really don't have any weaknesses, and neither does Golden State. So that's that's what you want as a as someone who loves basketball is to see two fantastic teams going at it. It's kind of like when I was younger, when it was the Lakers and the Celtics battling it out just about every year in the '80s with Magic and Kareem going against Larry Bird and McHale and Parrish, and, and those series were just unbelievable. And you know, for some fans, you got tired of seeing the same team in the finals every year. And there is, you know, there is somewhat of a factor to that. But when when you have teams that that have reached that level of sport, um, it's it's something special to watch. And, and I'm and I'm looking forward to seeing it again. It'll be interesting to see if any team can can give them a battle in the conference rounds. There are some teams on the rise. You know, I like what Milwaukee's doing with Giannis. I think that's going to be a 
a team to watch in, in upcoming years. I think Boston's going to continue to add to their mix. In the West, you know, Houston, as I mentioned with Maury, is going to continue to be aggressive. Uh, I've been a little bit disappointed that, that that Oklahoma City thing hasn't really panned out. I thought that could be a team that, that might be dangerous in a postseason situation, but Carmelo's skills have, have kind of fallen off the table. And I think Paul George already has one eye on Los Angeles for next year. So yeah. I don't I don't think they're going to pose much of a threat. But um, it, it looks like we'll see Golden State in Cleveland again, and, and that'll be quite a battle in June. Yeah, you know, I, Joe and I have talked about on the podcast before, more so during the, the NBA playoffs last time around. But it, in the past, the playoffs had almost been a lot more – it was almost predictable. Totally predictable. You knew it was going to be Cavs Warriors. You really knew nobody was going to be able to give either team much of a fight beforehand. And it seems like even though we're probably headed for that path again, like you touched on, we're probably headed for a more at least entertaining playoffs this year because there are some teams who might be able to steal, you know, two games and make it somewhat of a series. Yeah, there's some teams that are that are have enough talent and firepower to to, to win a couple games off those uh, favorites. Because, as you know, last year, both of them basically swept their way into the finals. Mm-hmm. I, I think that uh, Cleveland didn't lose at all, and Golden State lost once. So it was just uh, they, they completely overpowered their conference opponents. I think, you know, Toronto's been playing well. They're, they have they've just equaled Boston for the best record in the East, and people are always quick to dismiss that team, but they're always solid with DeRozan and Lowry, and, uh, you know, they have the experience of going through some playoff rounds in the past. They're a solid team as well. Washington's been kind of an underachiever in the East, but there are enough teams that, you know, maybe can at least win a game or two and uh, force the Cavs and Warriors to extend themselves a little bit. But I don't think anyone is is ready yet to seriously threaten to knock either one of those teams off. All right, last question here before we wrap up. Uh, you, you touched on LeBron coming back to Cleveland. I think before this season it was pretty much a foregone conclusion he was going to be bolting again, but now... Narrative seems to be switching a little bit. People think there's more of a chance he stays, hangs around. So what's your gut feeling? Do you think he, he does opt out and bolt after this year? Do you think he stays? What do you think the uh, the future holds for him, and how does that kind of affect the the dominoes to fall once he makes his decision? Well, it was kind of an eyebrow raiser when he bought a second mansion in the Los Angeles area <laughs> yeah. a couple of weeks ago. I mean, do you really need to... Uh, $20 million mansions uh, in the Los Angeles area if you're not planning to spend some serious time there. Um, you know, I, it is it is a bit of a head-scratcher. It is kind of... I, I, I always wonder why would he want to go to join the Lakers unless that's been a childhood dream of his that he never really shared with the public. Um, you know, they he spoke glowingly about Lonzo Ball every chance he's had and they do have a number of nice players there, but Unless there's something in his mind that, that he's always wanted to be part of that Laker mystique, it just seems like an odd choice because even adding LeBron, I don't know that they would be good enough to, to knock off the Warriors next year. They would have to get two free agents. You know, there's, there's been talk that they would try to clear enough cap space to bring in LeBron and, and Paul George, which would give them, you know, a pretty exciting nucleus to build around. But I, I think he would be best off staying in the East. And if he's going to stay in the East, he might as well stay in Cleveland, where he's beloved in Northeast Ohio. Of course, he's a kid who grew up in Akron. And, you know, when he left the first time, the whole jersey-burning episode. And, um, you know, I, I just don't know if he wants to go through all that again for a situation in Los Angeles where he may never make an, make another finals, much less win another championship. Um, 
I'm starting to think that he, he might be better off just to stay in Cleveland, and you know he can enjoy his off seasons with his two two beautiful homes in in LA. <laughs> well, Mark, thanks for t- for taking some time for us. It'll be certainly be exciting to see you know how things unfold for the Bulls and, and the the Cavs and Warriors and LeBron and, and the draft and all that stuff down the stretch of the NBA season here. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time. I think you have probably more basketball knowledge in one finger than me and Joe do combined. So we really do appreciate you you coming on and giving us some of your knowledge here. Well, I don't know about all that, but I appreciate the kind words. And, you know, I really enjoyed it and continued success with the podcast. And hopefully I can uh, come on again sometime in the future. Appreciate it, Mark. Thanks a lot for your time and uh, have a Merry Christmas. Thanks, Matt. Same to you. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise, and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome. <laughs> Chicken on the stick was phenomenal. Hey, happy Festivus, everyone! <laughs> <laughs>